Today is June the 5th, 2016. The title of today's message is Pulp Fiction. There will be no movie clips today, just in case you were wondering. This is not the start of a summer movie series. We don't even know what that is. I know, right? The problem is, is I do. That's why I had to... (laughs) This is actually the title. This is the message that we feel as a pastoral team, as a group of pastors and elders, that is exactly fit for this body for today. Um, I was thinking uh, just as we're getting ready here to to read out of Genesis chapter 2... what a privilege it is. There's, there's certain privileges that I have in my life. Uh, one is that the Lord has been gracious to me and allowed me to have a, a, a direct relationship with the God of all the universe. Amen. Another relationship is the relationship that I have with my wife. It's an honor to be the husband of such an incredible woman. Amen. It's an honor to be the father of the children that I have. Yeah. But it is really, really an honor that I have to pastor you. During the worship, um, I'm thinking about each of you, whether I look at you or not, whether I'm staring at you or not. Sometimes you'll see me turn around, and it's not, it's not for any other reason. It's not that I forget where I am. It's not that I'm trying to make anybody awkward, feel awkward. It's that I'm saying, Lord, what do you have? What do you have for us today? What do you have for your people here in this building? Because you brought them here by your design. Today, I feel like this message is for you. I say it in a collective way, but I mean it in, on an individual level. This message today is for you. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8. and says this. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east. Everybody say garden. garden. In Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Almost like God has a place prepared for us. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you have an apple tree, what kind of fruit do you get? When you have a, uh, when you have a life tree, what kind of fruit do you get from it? It's interesting. Right here at the very beginning of all creation, we're seeing that God is placing something here. And uh, this is what kind of struck me over the week as I was thinking about, I was thinking about the place of trees in the Bible. I know, really exciting, right? Uh, trees. I was thinking through different varieties of trees and I realized that it starts here. Turn to Revelation 22. The very last chapter of the last book in the Bible. Revelation 22. And let's look at verse 1 and 2. Are you there? there. We're just getting there. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. That's interesting, right? It's the tree of life that's on both sides of the river. Right? So you've got, you've got some, something here that's spanning both sides of the river, and yet the river is still a river. And the leaves of the tree... Uh, I'm sorry. The river stood... Uh, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit. Everybody say twelve. twelve. Hmm. Yielding its fruit every month. Wow, what an interesting thought. Twelve fruit for twelve months. For twelve tribes. 
we see that we see that every month there's going to be a new type of fruit that is being produced. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Now look down in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Amen. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has believed. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me read it again. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. So many times in the Bible we see examples. There's a parable that Jesus gives at a wedding feast and people are cast out of the wedding because they are not clothed in righteousness. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So the Bible starts off with giving us a picture of a tree of life and it ends up talking about a tree of life that we are going to get to inhabit. Now, somewhere in between is us interacting with these things. Let's take a look at Psalm chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. Let's start in verse 32. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. We see here that Abraham, he plants a tamarisk tree, a tree that is known for its, long, uh, its endurance, its longevity, its evergreen nature, that he was saying, Lord, just like this tree, I'm going to have this kind of a relationship with you. Amen. It's going to last for a long time. It's going to flourish. It's going to stay in season and continually produce fruit for you. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. Yeah. Psalm chapter 1. And let's start in verse 1. Okay, we got three people there. Amen. Turn in the middle of your Bible somewhere. Right? <laughs> Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Wow, what a great lesson for us to learn, right? To meditate on the word of the Lord day and night. And night. If you are not making this a regular part of your Christian walk, then you are in error because the Word instructs us many times over. Here's one verse, but there are many instructions that say that we are to meditate on it all the time. Do you know why the Lord tells us to meditate? Do you know why? Because what we meditate on leads us and it causes us to become, we become what we meditate upon. If you meditate upon righteousness, you know what you become? You become righteous. If you're meditating upon the world and its struggles, you know what you become? Very worldly. The Bible says, meditate on his word both day and night. Look at verse 3. If you do this, the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the one who does not walk in the way of the sinners, he is like a tree. 
planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Many people in our day and age like that part about the prospering, but they don't want to meditate. They want to walk in the way of the world and still yet prosper. That's not how the kingdom is built. You are not a tree that's planted by the water when you meditate on anything. You are a tree that's planted by the water when you meditate on God, when you meditate upon His Word, when you stay involved in His Spirit and you stay connected to Him. That's what it's like. It's like, it's a metaphor, right? It's a picture. The tree is the picture of us in our relationship with the Lord. We, when, when we connect with God, it's like a tree that's real close to the water. You know what? You know what it doesn't fear? It doesn't fear when, the, when bad weather comes. It doesn't fear if there's a drought. You know why? Because it's plugged into the source. This is what we are to be like. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Just laying some groundwork here. From the law, the prophets, and the writings. Here's our prophet scripture from Jeremiah chapter 17. Verse 7 says this, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in Him. I want to encourage some of you in this room today that your confidence has been shaken and the message today, the rest of the worship, the rest of the time that we have, in addition to what the Lord has already done, He is trying to reestablish your confidence in Him. This is not an arrogance that says that we are the strongest thing and we've got it. No, I got it. I got it. One of my many flaws is I'm actually pretty bad at asking for help. I'm pretty terrible at asking for help. When people offer to help me, you know what I say? No, I got it. Even if I need you to help me, you know what I'll say to you? No, I'm good. I'm good. I may not even believe it. But because I don't want to impose upon you, I'll go, no, I'm good. I could have 400 pounds of things in my arm. You'd be like, let me get that. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm at least balanced now. <laughs> I'll make up the dumbest things to say, no, I'm good. What I'm not trying to say is that we have a self-reliance. No, I'm good. I'm getting crushed here. No, I'm good. Hey, brother, can we help you? Because you're getting crushed. No, I got it. I can have, no, what we're saying is we're trying to place our confidence in Him. Amen. There's a vast difference. And someone whose pride might get in the way of you actually helping, even on small things. Because if it's a small thing, you know what I think? Oh, it's just a small thing. I should be able to handle this. You know what happens when it's a big thing? Well, it's a big thing. I, it's not your responsibility. <laughs> well, that's just prideful. That's just insecure on my part, isn't it? Maybe if you're the, maybe you might be like me as well. Huh? But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who lets the Lord handle things for us, who listens to His Word and we go out and do what He tells us to do in His strength, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Perhaps, because we're hearing this everywhere, in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, we should take this to heart. Amen? Turn to Isaiah, since we're in the prophets. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Back towards the beginning of your Bible, just a few pages. Isaiah 61. And verse 1. 
says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to get through this quickly to get to some other things, but let me just take a break here. The Lord has anointed me. This is not another man. This is not yourself. I I joke with friends who have gone to seminary and they are the ones that taught me that it's often called cemetery. Did you go to cemetery? I mean, seminary? I'm like, wow, that's an interesting thing. We, we're, we live in a land that is ready to have self-proclaimed experts in every field. You watch TV. What do, what do they do? What is every news segment that you have? They have the main newscaster, and then what are they always trying to do? Trying to bring on some expert to tell you, that which you do not know, but you don't have any way of verifying if they're actually an expert or not. Or if they're just pretty, have a nice smile, and can speak relatively well. The, the ones that irk me the most are the ones about all the, I, I can't watch them, but they, they tell you about all the happenings in the uh, popular realm with, with movie stars. Yeah. They'll talk about them like they know them. Yeah. Well, I can't even, I don't even know, you know, Tom did this. Really, do you know him? So you talk to him and that? No, I mean, of course I didn't. I just hunt around online. I'm an expert. No, no, no. We want to be people who the Lord has anointed to do what we're doing. Amen. Do not be a self-appointed expert in your life. Amen. Don't, <laughs> don't be that guy. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Come on, some of you guys need to understand that this is God's will for your life. Some of you need to get rid of the, the ashes and allow God to exchange that for the crown of beauty that He has for you. The things and the parts of your life that have been utterly decimated. You know what God can do? Give you a beauty of a, a, a crown of beauty instead. Amen. He can give you gladness instead of mourning. How long will you mourn? There are acceptable limits of time, even in our culture. Not talking about the scripture. There are acceptable limits of time for us to mourn. At some point, you have to move on in what the Lord has for you. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Far too many people in this room walk around with a spirit of despair. You're supposed to have a garment of praise. It's supposed to be the thing that people see when you walk up. They see the covering that is your praising attitude. What happened? Well, today was a tough day. Amen. I love the Lord. I'm not saying that you falsely shield your friends from saying it was a tough day. I have no problem with you telling me it was a tough day. As a matter of fact, as your pastor, I need you to tell me if it was a tough day. I'm ready to pray for you. But you don't have a spirit or an air or clothed with, it was really tough. What we have is a spirit of praise. You know what? It was tough and I choose to follow my God anyway. He's going to work this out. He's working something out. (laughs) I have no idea what he's working out in me. I cannot see this at all. I wish he would stop. And praise God, I trust him. Right? Amen? 
Nevertheless, they will be called, uh uh-oh, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Come on, don't you want to be an oak of righteousness? Let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 8. Today is one of those days when I was a school teacher. There were some days that I got into the classroom and I had an intensity that my students didn't have. I'm like, we got to go. We got stuff to do. Use, use a word that my dad used to, word, used to use. Don't lollygag around. All these high school kids are like, excuse me? Uh, Mr. Sutherland, we don't know what that is. You better get going. They're like, what are you so hyper about? Like, it's a random day in February. What are you doing? It's actually, I have that same feel today. Like, let's go. It's excitement. It is. Mark 8, and let's start reading in verse 22. Say there when you're there. there. They came to Bethsaida and said, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Well, that's an interesting little caveat, isn't it? For you Bible students who are taking notes, write down, I'm not going to turn to it, Matthew 11, 21 through 24. And you can discern for yourself why Jesus took him out of the village. Bethsaida, Jesus had said to them, hey, woe to you. If the miracles that had been done here had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. So this is the same village just a few Uh, A few stories later, he took the blind man by the hand. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, that he takes us by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) And put his hands on him. We had a great teaching from Nick Aragina on Friday night in our discipleship helps class about laying hands on people. What that is like. We are we are transferring the authority from the heavenly realm to the people that we are praying for or praying about. When he had um, spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. There's a lot that, that we could get into about this. So is the guy seeing clearly yet? He's seeing people like trees. He's not seeing people like people or trees like trees. He's seeing something. And so most commentators start saying, hey, this is an incomplete healing. Takes Jesus round two to do this and get the healing. I'm telling you, you could read all the Bible scholars you want, and that is by far the dominant thought about interpreting this. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm going to guess that Jesus didn't have a power failure. He didn't have a glitch in his CPU where it went, oh, didn't quite do it, uh, just run the process again. <laughs> I'm going to guess that there was not some problem with the guy so great that Jesus went, oh, let's, let's go for round two here. I, I, I'm going to take it for this. There's a lot of ways that, that, that you can, but I see people, they look like trees walking around. Perhaps what he was seeing was not just physical. Perhaps when he's looking at it, when you talk about different types of trees in the Bible, you can actually see different things about the nation of Israel. You can see different things about human nature. Perhaps he was saying, 
Huh. There's some different connections going on at this moment. There's, there's something different happening to me, to this blind man. Whether he started off being blind, whether he needed eyes to actually be made inside of the sockets, whatever it may have been, he gets there and he's saying, hey, I, I'm seeing something and I'm not quite sure that I understand it. Well, by the time we get done today, you're going to understand it. Amen. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eye, eyes. And then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. I, I'm telling you, even the greatest scholars of all time, Let's just not presume that the Bible doesn't mean to do what it does. Let's just look at it and say, Jesus clearly could have healed him with one go around. Now, for us to find out what that is, I think that takes some searching. I think it takes us investigating and crying out to the Lord and saying, God, why was it that you didn't heal completely on on go around number one here? Because he came back and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything Clearly. Let me encourage you. When God really touches you in your life, you know what's going to happen? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. You're going to be able to see clearly, I assure you. Because God is going to have touched you. As I did this, look back. For me, it's on the page on the left. Look back to Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. You know what happens in Mark 7, 31? Starting there from 31 through 37, he heals a deaf and a mute man. So let me just put this together for you. As I was reading in Mark 8 and looking at the blind man who was healed, I remembered that just a few verses before, he had healed a deaf man. So we have a deaf and a blind man. Let's turn to Isaiah 35. And start in verse 3. It says this. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Have you ever been worried that things that happened against you just won't be accounted for? You're like, God, do you see this guy? Do you see how he's treating me? Do you see this situation, Lord? Are you paying attention, God? Have have you noticed what's going on? I mean, I know you're busy and you're looking over the whole universe and stuff, but did you you see what these people did to me? Yeah, yeah, be strong and don't fear. Whatever's going on in your life today, this is, the, this is the power of the Scripture. This is the power of the Spirit of God. This is why we meditate on His words day and night. I'm reading to you verses that were written 2,700 years ago, approximately. About 700 B.C. I'm reading to you Scriptures that were 2,700 years ago, written that long ago, and I'm telling you that for some of you in this room, these are actually words that the God of all creation is speaking to you today. It's up to us to be aware and meditating enough to know that he's actually speaking to us using an ancient script. Be strong and do not fear. 
Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. He will come with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Do you understand that these things don't happen? Streams in the desert. It's, the whole point is the environment doesn't matter when God has spoken something. Your environment does not need to get better before God can move in your life. You don't need a better job. You need more of Christ at work in you. You may need a better job, but that's not the answer that you're looking for. You don't need everyone else to realize your greatness before God can come in and touch you. That is not what you need. Because you know what happens? Somehow as human beings, we think that we're going to change the environment and things are going to become magically better. If I can only make this much more money, then, then my life, I mean, I could see my life is going to be better. So what happens when you do make that much more money? You know what you find out? That it, you still have a need, but people never actually realize that. They go, oh, I was just wrong. Now I need more money. Now I need more friends. Now I need more popularity. Now I need something else. And we never realize and go, wait, stop for a minute. Maybe the things that I think that I need aren't the things that I need. That never hits the bulk of humanity. Maybe what I say I need is not what I actually need. Maybe I need to cry out to someone who knows what I need and can deliver it to me. He can give me streams in a desert. He doesn't say, I'm going to take you out of the desert and bring you to streams. He said, I'll just give you streams in the desert. Come on now. What deserts are you in that you need the streams of God's presence to be in? Maybe you should quit running from where you are and you should run to Him. He will give you water will gush forth in the wilderness. Streams will be there in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs and the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. I've shared this before. I had a picture my whole life growing up. I, wanted, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Both of my parents were Christian. Not a perfect place, but both of my parents were Christian. I'm very, very uh, so thankful for that. But I grew up with the mentality that walking with the Lord was a tightrope. And at any second, I was going to bounce off of that thing and fall to my doom. That was my perspective on it. You know what Isaiah says? It's a highway. (laughs) The path is narrow to get on the highway. (laughs) There's only one way to get on this highway, and yet when you're there, it's a highway. Lord, I can run with confidence. I can run. I can grab my wife by the hand. I can grab my kids. We can run with confidence in the highway of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Amen? Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And start looking at verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Wow. By their fruit, you will recognize them. I heard Pastor Eric say one time, we were talking and we were studying through the, uh, listening to a recording of Revelation. We were talking about uh, Revelation chapter 2. And Pastor Eric said it this way. He said, God wants to know us by our deeds and not our creeds. I liked it. It, it stuck. Said a lot of good things, but that one happened to, happens to fit this, right? God, God knows us by our deeds and not just our creeds. Not just what we say we believe, but what we actually do. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, listen to this, every good tree bears good fruit. Everybody say every. every. You, know what, you know what that is when you look it up in the Greek? It means every. It means all. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Amen. Right, I know, real simple concept here, huh? But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Doesn't it sound overly elementary here? By the way, this is Jesus speaking, right? So I'm going to presume that if he's saying it, that it's perhaps more than just elementary. Perhaps it's something important for us to grasp. You know what happens in our day and time? We are a church that says, you need to be known by your fruit. This is not a new message to you this morning. This is actually an ancient message to you. But what I'm saying here is this morning is, we live in a society that says that you could be a good tree and have bad fruit. There are certain famous people who have died recently. And you know what? They're saying they were basically a good tree. And maybe they had some bad fruit. Have you heard of people, uh, murderers? Someone who flips out and goes and kills people. They'll go, listen to the interviews that they do. Pick, Pick one. Now, what do they say? Well, he was a good kid. No. No, he wasn't. Isn't that ridiculous to say that? It is. But our world says, he was a good tree. It just had some bad fruit. The scripture tells me that that is not acceptable for me to ingest and take in and say, oh yeah, he was a good tree. The Bible says... That by his fruit, I will know him. He went out and killed people. You know what that makes him? A murderer. He's a bad tree with bad fruit. It is in keeping, his fruit was in keeping with what he really was as a person. Folks, today in this room, there are people who think that they're a good tree even though they're producing bad fruit. I know that just as sure as I'm standing here. I know it. You think you're a good tree, but all that comes out is bad fruit. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you. Let me warn you and admonish you. That is not reality. Whether you think it is or not, the Scripture says in an elementary fashion so that there's no possibility of coming up with a different conclusion. Every good tree bears good fruit. And a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Is this difficult to see? Is this difficult to understand? You can go back into the original Greek and you know what you'll get? You'll get this understanding of it. This is not a translation problem. (laughs) This is a translation problem reading it and taking it in. When we hear it, we want to translate it to something else in our heart. If you're here and you haven't been producing good fruit, you have to look at the fact that you are probably a bad tree. And the only reason I say probably is because being a pastor, I know that some of you are tender-hearted and you're actually working on producing good fruit and you're seeing fruit that you're allowing God to prune in you and so I don't want to say a word that crushes you. So for those of you who are here and you really are desiring good fruit, then I say continue on in desiring good fruit and let the Lord prune that which is not perfected in you yet. And at the same time, I want to tell you that those who are here who are producing bad fruit, you're a bad tree. You can't have it both ways. You can't do it your own way and get whatever fruit you get and placate your own conscience by saying, I'm a good tree. All dogs don't go to heaven. Good people do not get to heaven. If you are merely a good person, what kind of insult is that to my God for you to think that you can be a good person and get to heaven? Good? By what standard? Well, I haven't killed anybody. Woo, way to go. Good job. Setting those standards really high, huh? We have a God who descended from the heavens to allow us. He would impart His righteousness to us if we do it His way. He will allow us to be oaks of righteousness, the very planting of the Lord, but we have to do it His way. To think it's any other way is shameful. It's arrogant to the highest degree. The God of all creation is not swayed. Are we going to actually think that we can stand before God and offer Him a list of our achievements? Have you ever done that? I've been in places, we'll call it different things, right? I was in high school, I did a good job, I got to college, and the way I said it was, I realized I was a small fish in a big pond. I realized that my accomplishments didn't really stack up with most people because there were a lot of people with a lot better accomplishments than I did. But in my little world, I was kind of king before that. Are you king in your world? I'm not king in my own world anymore. Because I've done that enough times. I went from high school to college and went, whoa. There are people who have done and gone all over the world and already achieved things at my age that, wow, Mm, perhaps I should reconsider this. Then I graduated and then I did different things and I realized that I keep becoming a small fish in a bigger pond. I think I'm doing good and I get around someone who's memorized most of the Bible verbatim. Yeah, I got nothing. I'm a small fish in a much bigger pond. But I no longer seek to be the biggest fish in a little pond. 
I no longer want to be the king on my own throne. Lord, this is my life. I give it to you. It's actually ludicrous for me to think that I can control my life better than you can. So I'm going to actually acknowledge that a good tree, Lord, because I want to bear good fruit. I want to be a good tree. I don't want to think I'm a good tree. I want to be a good tree. Amen? Matthew chapter 3. Verse 7. Matthew 3, 7. says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. (laughs) Come on, why don't you tell us what you really think. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That is a favorite verse of this church. If you don't know that yet, write it down, underline it. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh, I'm repenting. You better show it. It's not that we are um, skeptical. It's that we see the Bible says you must keep fruit in producing with repentance for you to show that you're repentant. You are not repenting if you say it only. You are repentant when you say it and then do it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The things that I used to do, I no longer do. The things that I used to desire in my heart, I no longer desire in my heart because the God of all creation came into this broken, dead vessel and He fixed it and made me alive. There is a transformation. We are not asking for behavior modification in this church. Could you stop doing the bad stuff? Could you start doing more good stuff? No, no, no. What we're saying is, you're dead. Have Jesus in you, you become alive. Those are two different things. We're asking for transformation, not modification. Do you understand that? You can behaviorally modify yourself all the do-dah day, and it won't change your heart. Fine, go work out more. Fine, take on a new hobby. Fine, learn a new language. Fine, eat better. Great. You're just modifying your behavior. You haven't done a thing for your heart yet. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 9, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That theology does not stick well with many people today. But the Bible is very clear. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. Luke 13, 6 says this. Then Jesus told a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it. That is a crazy idea. Somebody planted a tree and then went to make sure that there was fruit on it but did not find any. Verse 7, So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, everybody say three years. Three years. I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? That's, that's a good owner of a vineyard, right? What is he thinking? You're wasting space, man. If I keep this thing around too long and it draws nourishment around from... 
away from the surrounding trees, I'd rather cut this one down and move on because it's not producing fruit than to endanger the trees that are around it. Does that make sense to you? Verse 8, Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. What an interesting story, right? An interesting perspective on it. We have friends of ours at one of the One Association churches who this is a passage of Scripture that the Lord has been laying heavily on that pastor's heart. I want to connect this to something in the Older Testament for you. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. We're going to start in 23. You there? When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, everybody say any kind. Regard its fruit as forbidden. This is an interesting passage, right? People who aren't as familiar with our church, they're like, why do you even read from a book like Leviticus? That's all archaic. It doesn't have anything to do with us today, does it? Well, we've learned, obviously, it does. For three years, everybody say three years. You are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. And this way, your harvest will be increased. (laughs) The Lord is telling His people and giving them an agricultural strategy. When you go into an area and you start planting any kind of fruit tree, any kind you want, Three years, you're not supposed to touch its fruit. And Luke, how long had the owner been looking at the tree? Three years. But the idea was not that the tree wouldn't have been producing fruit for three years. You were giving it time to grow. You were giving it time to do what it needed to do. And you should start seeing some fruit after a period of time. Because what happens in the fourth year, all of the fruit from it is an offering to the Lord. And then in the fifth year, you could eat the fruit. And it was for everyone. If you've been planted somewhere, there is a period of time where you should be and just grow. Your only thought, your only goal is to make sure that you start producing fruit. Whether you, and as a matter of fact, it's better that you don't give it away yet. You're just working. You're just growing. You're just learning. Perhaps God put you in a church like ours so that you could be prepared for mission field or for, uh, for a, a pastoral or fivefold calling. Perhaps you're here in this church. By the way, we've said this before. Everybody in this church is not going to go on the mission field permanently. I hope everyone in the church does go on the mission field, by the way. God has not necessarily called each of us. There are some of you that I know that God has called you to be here. This is the field that you're supposed to be working. This is where you are planting. You know why? So that we can continue to send other people out. If we send everybody out, there's nobody here. And if the Lord blessed us that way, we we would do it in a second. But I think, I know, what God calls us to do is to continue to produce good fruit here. 
So we need people to be here and to be steady, to be firmly planted, to not have an eye to go anywhere else. I can tell you, my heart, my family's heart, we're not looking to go anywhere else. If the Lord grants us favor, I would be glad to stay here until my last day on earth. I don't want to get to a bigger church. This is not a stepping stone to another church, to another ministry. This is it for me. This room of people, it's it for me. I'm done. Thank you. Three years. So when we see the parable in the New Testament, and God says that this owner of the vineyard is saying, I've, I've come for three years and I haven't seen any fruit. You know what? That means it's time. What is the counter offer? Hey, give it one more year. Because in the fourth year, it was going to all go to you anyway. It was all going to be presented to you anyway. So let's just see. Maybe it's a late bloomer. Maybe there's something else. Give me one more chance to work on this for you. And if it produces fruit, then amen, we've saved one. And if it doesn't, you are righteous in your decisions. What kind of timing are you on with the Lord? Are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit in keeping with repentance or in keeping with what you have been made to produce? It is incumbent upon us. Uh, Ibrahim read from, um, from Hebrews today. Let's throw aside the weight, everything that hinders, and the sin... The weight and the sin. Let's talk about it in context for this for just a second. Remove the things that can keep you from growing. Get them out of there. Weed weed it. Get rid of things. Make sure there aren't little bugs and insects that have gotten in and, and polluted what you're doing. Because there's supposed to be a purity. And if you are a good tree, you will produce good fruit. Amen. If you are not producing good fruit, then you have to examine your heart and your life. Matthew 12 tells us this. <laughs> tells us that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. What is on the inside of you, the fruit that you are supposed to be making, will pour out from you. It will, it will be the thing that pours out. What about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1? What is she doing? She's there before... The Lord, she's pouring out her heart. Lord God, I want a child. She's pouring out her heart. Let's, let's read it. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Turn to Psalm 42. David does the same thing. He's pouring out his heart in so many areas. Psalm 42 and verse 4, it says this. These things I remember as I pour out my soul 
How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He's trying to encourage himself. In Genesis chapter 35, you don't have to turn there. It's Jacob. It's, it's a recap of Jacob after he's had an encounter with the Lord. Where he was there and he saw angels ascending and descending. He's, he, what he did was he took, he took oil and he poured it upon the rock. He took oil and poured it on the rock that he was sleeping on. He, he, he said, this is something, I'm going to pour out who I am to remind myself that this was a special time. This was something that was anointed. He poured out oil and a drink offering. Um, Cass, we're going, to, we're going to do some pictures now real quick. As I was thinking about the pouring out the oil, it made me think about olive trees. And Pastor Eric presented this uh, the other day, or some of these details. An olive tree thrives in poor soil. <laughs> it thrives. Here is a, a picture of an olive tree. I don't know if you could tell, this is actually from the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a modern picture at the Garden of Gethsemane. You see some of the structures that have been built. Obviously, those weren't there in Jesus' day. But you have, do you see any grass around it? It's very dry and barren there. And an olive tree flourishes in that kind of environment. Actually, the, more easy you, the, the easier the soil, the worse the olive tree does but surely that can't represent us, right? <laughs> Sometimes the easier it is on us, the worse we do in the kingdom. Do you do well when you have a lot of time off? I, I'm terrible. Netflix becomes my best friend. I end up vegging and I lose it and I waste a lot of time. I do much better when I stay busy. Perhaps you have a lot more character and discipline than I do, but I'm just being honest with you. I do much better when I stay moving. I do much better when things are harder on me. Take a look at the next one. So what happens is, is this is an example of different, I'm going to show you a few different types of presses. Everybody say press. Press. (laughs) You ever felt pressed down? This is one type, a stone that they would put the olives there. You can actually see some of the oil there, which I think is beautiful. Uh, Cass, can you go one more? This is a, um, a, a screw type thing. They, they would do it and they would wind it around and it would keep, they would put the olives in bags underneath there and they would just keep adding tension and adding tension and adding tension and just going around and around until it just kept compressing it and then you get oil that's working its way down the press into ravines and culverts that push it to another place that they can collect it. Uh, cast one more. Okay, so this is a lever. Um, you see on the right they have the open space there with the vertical opening. What they would do is stack bags and bags of olives in there. And then they would put the lever on top of it. They would just set it on top of it. There are four stages of getting the oil to come out. So the first stage is literally just the weight of the olives that press down upon it. There's no other weight that's added. The lever is placed there. 
like a stamp, right? Got this action going on. It's, pi- it's pivoted back there, and the olives are underneath it, and it just puts the weight, and the weight of the olives itself starts causing olive oil to flow from it. That first pressing, just the weight of the olives itself, was used for holy things. It was used for the temple. It was used because it had to be clear. There couldn't be any pulp in it. There couldn't be any flesh that came out from the pressing. The first go-around was just the actual weight of itself, and it produced the purest form. It gave the anointing oil. Next, they would add the first rock closest to it. So in this picture, is the highest one up. They would add some weight to it. And in that second pressing, it was used for household items. It was used for medicines. Why? Because it added, now we've got a stone, now we've got a weight that's pulling down upon it. And so what would happen is sometimes there'd be some of the fleshy part of the olives that started to come out. They started to be a little bit of pulp in there. A little bit of the flesh kind of came out. So it was used for a different way. It wasn't quite used in the temple, but it was used for home, for human consumption, for medicines. Then you would add another stone on there. So the third pressing was used for food, for cooking, for animal medicines. Again, not with each one we're degrading in in how pure it is. We're getting more and more pulp into the oil, and so it's used differently. The last one, you put the third stone on there and the fourth version of this. It's used for unclean uses and it's used as fire starter. Interesting. You may not find it interesting. I find it incredibly interesting. Because what I see is, uh, we're going to talk through this here. This is exactly the kinds of pressings that go on in our life. This is exactly what we go through. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Verse 6. Since it's the middle of a sentence, let's go to verse 3. I'm sorry. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and hides of sea cow, acacia wood, olive oil for the light. This is for the offerings that were made for the tabernacle, for the very presence of God, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Turn to Exodus chapter 27, verse 20 and 21. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil. Everybody say clear oil. oil. What we have to bring to the Lord is clear oil. We have to bring Him acceptable sacrifices of pressed olives for the light. Olive oil is used for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meetings outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord. Doesn't that sound like the meditate on His Word day and night? There's supposed to be a constant vigil. There's supposed to be a constant effort that's put forth between us and the Lord. You are not allowed days off in the kingdom. 
You're not allowed to be holy on six days and unholy on the seventh. You're not allowed to be holy for 23 hours a day and take an hour off. That is not the mentality of the kingdom. You must continually seek to keep your lamp burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24. I like that. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Turn to Deuteronomy 24. Like an old-fashioned sword drill here, huh? Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 2. My father-in-law came and visited a few months ago, and, and he said, wait, I think I've read more scripture in the three days that I've been here than maybe the last six months at my church. I'm like, I don't know to take that as a compliment or, or to weep for you, but he was excited that he'd read that many scriptures. So. Yeah. 24.1, if a man marries a woman... Twenty-four nineteen. I was just kidding. That's what happens when you write the wrong thing down. It's like, no, that's not what I want to say. Yes, verse 19. Deuteronomy 24, 19. It says this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your tree, do not go over the branches a second at a time. The thing that I didn't mention about the olive tree is that to get the fruit, the process of getting the fruit is you literally have to beat the tree. Come on. You have to assault the tree so that it gives forth its fruit. It's not how you do an apple tree. When the apples get really ripe, they just fall off the tree. Not an olive. That's not how this works. For your fruit to really come forth, you may have to be assaulted. What an, interesting, what an interesting thing that God has done. Given us picture after picture. It's just an olive tree, right? Yep. But I'm seeing men walking around like trees. That's what I see. I'm seeing that this is the picture of my life. I'm seeing it in a form that's not exactly the way I look, but I, I understand that this is telling me how I'm supposed to be. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. God, there's so many things to be said about that. When Christ gave his life, there was one beating that he took for all. There was one. When Moses was to strike the rock, he only did it one time. And water flowed. The next time, he was supposed to speak to the rock. Jesus Christ was stricken once for us, once for all. His sacrifice was enough. It was the pure oil that came forth. We don't strike Christ again. We speak to Him. We allow our faith to be placed in Him. We do what He tells us to do, 
And that is what brings us life. Amen? Psalm 52. Verse 8. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. (laughs) That's us as trees. I am like an olive tree. The Jews have such a great perspective on things. A Greek way of thinking would say, if we looked at an object, we would say, what is that? What is, what is that? The way that, a, 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 from a Jewish perspective, you would say, what does that do? What does this thing do? What, what an interesting perspective. I tend to look at things like, I wonder what that is. The Lord is always trying to encourage us to, what does this thing do? When He's saying, but I'm like an olive tree. What is, what, is, what is David saying here? He's saying, I'm supposed to do the exact same things that an olive tree does. Amen. I'm not going to go branches and dig my feet in the dirt. I am to do what it does. I am an olive tree. It's a very Jewish way to say it. I'm going to do exactly what an olive tree does. I'm going to flourish in poor soil. I'm going to flourish in harsh conditions. The truth is I'm going to make... The better fruit, the best fruit is made from the most harsh conditions. I'm made to be in the world, but not of the world. I am made to be different, to produce something that is pure. And even if you beat me, you know what happens? The more like Christ I am, you know what happens? The the more I'm beaten, the more I show, the more fruit I actually produce. I don't dry up my fruit because I'm just afraid... This is literally what I've been put on the earth to do. The more you try to silence me, the better my testimony gets. This is the way. I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Turn to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 4. You guys still with me? 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Maybe it's why the Bible teaches us and says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Because it's expecting you to produce from your own hand fruit. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. I don't have time to work on this thought right now, but I want to encourage you. For those of you with children, you need to consider that you are put in your children's life right now to emulate this press. You are to impress upon your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You are supposed to impress the ways of the Lord upon them. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we, as a church, we quote this passage a lot. It talks about how that we came to you, not only with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. It goes on to say that you are to be models of this. The word model there is the same, has the same meaning as the word in Deuteronomy 6 that says to impress. 
It's the idea of when you take something and you have to form it and press it and stamp it to mark it with, for it to be forever marked. As families, this is what we're supposed to be doing in our children. We're supposed to be letting them feel the weight of a calling of God on their life. And then as you add responsibilities to them, it's supposed to start to help them to grow and produce the right type of oil. Parents, do not. Do not take your hands from that plow. Amen. Do not take your hands from that plow. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 17. Romans 11, 11, 17 says this, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Interesting. There's a lot that can be said from Romans 11, understanding that we're the wild olive shoots. The vine, which is Jesus Christ, which represents the nation of Israel. We're the ones that have been grafted in. We were somewhere else. We were some other species, some other variety, and we got grafted in to the good stuff. It says that we do not support the root, but the root supports us because we're now sharing in the nourishing sap. Let's turn to John chapter 18. John 18. Verse 1 and 2. says this, When he had finished praying... Jesus left with His disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and He and His disciples went into it. Cass, can you put up picture number 5 for me? This is a picture of the Kidron Valley. This is the east wall, I believe, of of the temple area. And you have the Kidron Valley, and just to the left where this picture was, is actually the Mount of Olives. So when it says that Jesus, after He finished praying, left with His disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley, on the other side was an olive grove. These are actually olive groves in the Kidron Valley. Uh, Cass, you can leave the picture up there for just a second. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Stay with me, guys. Don't Don't let time... Don't get distracted because we're going to end soon here and I don't want you to miss what God has for you. Luke 22. And it says this in verse 39. Luke 22, 39. Jesus went out as usual. Everybody say as usual. As usual. Hmm. To the Mount of Olives. Basically where this picture is being taken from. Give, Give or take. And His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. How far is a stone's throw? 
Not, not a ton of distance, right? No matter how good of a stone thrower you are. Sometimes we can do these things and because we're not familiar with the area. Kidron Valley. Wow, he was walking for days. No, he just... This is how close where Jesus was praying to... He could see the place. He knew what was coming. He's agonizing over it. It's like me saying, hey, I'm, I'm about to have to come on stage and I'm going to walk across and pray in the field over here. Like, I know exactly what's going on. I can see, I can hear what's going on. He's here. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish... Everybody say anguish. He prayed more earnestly. Don't let anguish in your life cause you to withdraw from the very one who can help you. Jesus, the more anguish He was in, the more He prayed. And His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Cass, can you put up picture 7 for me? Um, can you go to 6 for me? Okay. So this is a press that we have here. <laughs> and what you see in the next, which is we'll get to in a second, the olives that are here are being poured out. The olive oil that's producing is coming out like blood. Go to that next picture. This is what it looks like as it's entering into the containers for the olive oil. It's being pressed. When it says that Jesus... His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground in an olive grove surrounded by olive trees. The anguish that was there started to produce something like this from our Savior. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. This will be our probably our last passage. I reserve the right to add another one in there. Cass, can you go back to picture number one and just put that up there for me? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is our Savior, right? This is Jesus Christ. It makes my heart break to know that he was becoming sorrowful and anguished. But you know what it also does? It encourages me to no end. It encourages me to go, when I am sorrowful, when I am in distress and anguish, he knows exactly what I feel like. And actually, more so. He was pure. I am not. He was the righteous Son of God that did no wrong, that incurred no wrath, and yet incurred all of our wrath. He was sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, Then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with Me. This is like the first pressing. 
<laughs> Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What happens? He's feeling the weight of him being the actual Messiah. There are no stones there yet. It's just the weight of the olives itself that begins to press. And you know what happens? There's no flesh that comes out of him. There's no pulp that comes out. He says, Lord, I would love for you to take this away, but not my will. Yours be done, mighty God. I am going to bring you a clear oil that when the pressure is on me, I will not let flesh come out. It will only be an anointing that is fit for use in your kingdom, mighty God. That is fit for use in the, in the tabernacle itself, in the temple itself. Verse 40. Then he returned to disciples, to his disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> Could you men not watch with me for one hour? I'm about to die. You couldn't give me an hour's worth of your time? It's almost like they added another stone onto the, to the lever. The second pressing is here. We see it. His friends couldn't even keep up with him. He asks, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then he went away another time, a second time, and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be uh, taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You know what's happening? Is, is As it's going through, as it's being added, as it's being there, what happens is, Oil keeps being produced. Cass, can you put up the picture with... Uh, um, let's try number four. As you add the stones to it, he's there at first and it's adding weight. It's adding weight. It's adding weight to him again and again and again. He went away a second time. And then verse 43, he came back again. He found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know what happens here though? At each pressing. What did he say the first time? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. There's a pure oil. What happens when you add when they added more and more stones to him? You know what happened with Jesus Christ? There was never pulp that entered into his pressing. He continued to offer pure, pure sacrifices. Lord, I don't want to have to do this, but if it's your will, I will do it. I will gladly do what you have for me. He did not allow the flesh to get in there. So you know what? On each of his offerings, on each of the pressings, it came out just as pure as the original. It came out just as pure. Folks, you're not going to get around pressings. There is no way. There is no way that you're going to keep from getting disappointed in this life. It's not possible. Paul does the same thing. Didn't he pray to the Lord three times? Yes. Let, let this thorn be taken from me, but nevertheless, Lord. God said, my strength, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness in 2 Corinthians 12. He, every time in John 16, 33, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart because I have overcome the world. 
He's saying there's going to be continued pressings in your life. There are going to be things that you've longed for, that you've hoped for, that you were sure that God would come through on, and it doesn't happen the way that you think. You're going to have tests that don't turn out the way you want. You're going to have weeks at work that don't turn out the way that you think they should be. There are going to be things that happen in your life, and they're going to continually press you. You cannot look at the pressing, the pressing of your life, and be afraid of it. What you need to do is examine the fruit that's coming from it. (laughs) If there's no oil and only pulp that's coming from it, perhaps we're not the good tree that we think we are. What is your life producing for the king? What kind of quality is coming from the pressings that take place in your life? The pressings of your life reveal who you are. Adversity reveals things about us. It reveals what our heart really is to the Lord. Oh, I didn't really mean that. Yes, you meant exactly what you said. You might be embarrassed after it comes out of your mouth and you want to retract it, but out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth spoke. Oh, I was just kidding. No, you weren't. Now you're being a coward. Your mouth showed your heart. If what's coming out is a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, you'll know that He's working in your life you'll know that He is transforming you. As Pastor Matt and the worship team comes up, what is coming out of your life? Every day, what's coming out? What's coming out of your words? What's coming out of your thoughts? What's coming out of your actions? What is, what is the, the oil of your life? What is it saying about your walk with the Lord? Are you a good tree or are you a bad tree? I'd like for everybody to stand with me.